Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's true what they say. You are the chosen. of the universe my friend you must know I will never join the dark side willingly how simple you make it light and dark as if there is one without the other aligned you and I can restore balance wherever we go peace to the universe by becoming a Sith never to a special episode of Full of Sith. I am the Mike Pilot, and with me, my co-host, Brian Young. And no, Amy's still with the show. You've heard her on the panels and stuff. We're just, you know, we got together and we had to do intros and outros for all these shows these past two weeks. So, yes, Amy's still with the show. Don't worry. I'm sure we got like 10,000 emails about that by now, Brian. Yeah, well, it's a... I can understand people going like, "Where's Amy?" Like I ask that constantly. It's just like, "Where's Amy?" Like, what are we? We're listless. We're she's really the glue that holds everything together, isn't she? Yes, that's why these these this has been a mess. But Amy deserves <laughs> a break, and so that's where Amy is. So, what are we uh, playing for this week? So today is the what is the balance of the force? What is the balance of the force, Brian? So, the balance of the force, uh, you're about to dive into almost an hour of discussion about it. Uh, <laughs> this panel was uh, Matt Martin from Lucasfilm, Jawa James Floyd, um, Don Pink, and I. And uh, we really just kind of dived in. This is probably one of the most philosophical and esoteric like hours of discussion about Star Wars I've ever had. Okay, and it was weird. Like after the panel, people were coming up like, "Wow, you really changed my mind," or "You really just kind of blew my mind." And I hope you like hearing about Mortis and Jar Jar and just everything in between. I'm I haven't heard this one, so let's check it out. Welcome to the "What Is the Balance of the Force" panel. Uh, All right, that's a thing to cheer. What the hell is that? I know. Uh, apparently, that's the way you fill a room on, in this place, is you have to have Brian on your Star Wars panel. No, that's true. He's the mayor of Salt Lake. Uh, so like I'm Brian Young. Apparently, I'm the mayor of Salt Lake. No, that's not true at all. Um, I host the Full of Sith podcast, and I, which is a Star Wars podcast, and I write uh, for StarWars.com. You can read my stuff every Monday, and occasionally for Star Wars Insider. And... Uh, I don't know, a bunch of other stuff. And I write books and things, too. But uh, I'll let these three fine individuals introduce themselves, and then we'll start talking about the balance of the force. Hi, I'm Matt Martin, uh, part of the Lucasfilm Story Group. One of three that are here, the lesser of the three of us that are here. My it's totally true. Like, if you guys have been in any panels with Pablo or Leland, you'll know that I am clearly the lesser of the three. You're my favorite of the three, though. Oh, thank you. Wouldn't, wouldn't you be the least of the three? Of the three? <laughs> I don't know, sure. Only two there are. (laughs) (laughs) Not anymore. (laughs) Does that make you Ventress? I I was going to say, that makes you the cousin Oliver. I'd rather be Ventress. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I am uh, James Floyd. I'm like San Diego's version of Brian Young, but I'm like the poor man's Brian Young. Um, I 
I'm not on the Fullest podcast except for maybe like once a year as a guest. And I write for StarWars.com, but not like the five million times that Brian has. And I don't write for Star Wars Insider, and I don't have any books for sale. So, so while Brian is the mayor of Salt Lake, you're like on the San Diego City Council. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm like running for school board, but never get it. <laughs> Uh, I am Don Pink. I was a dramatic theory major at the University of Utah, and uh, I'm also not Brian Young. <laughs> is that how tonight's going to go? Dude, <laughs> it's an 8 o'clock panel. What do you expect? <laughs> so I, I want to start with what is, uh, wh- where does the idea of the balance of the force come from, and, and what do we think that is? Because I think th- there's obviously a lot of interpretations of that. So, so... Do you guys want to set the scene about where that came from? A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Well, wasn't Qui-Gon the first one to mention it chronologically? Oh, we're doing Phantom Menace and not A New Hope? Sorry. I, was... I mean, don't they both start that way? Uh, yeah, they all do. La- last I checked, that they all, they all start that no, way. No, yeah. Because Attack of the Clones is more this way. <laughs> oh, you're doing the camera pan. I thought you were doing the crawl pan. No. I decided to skip all those words. There's too much reading. What the hell anyway, is John, going on Anyway, John, what were you here? saying? <laughs> we're just having a conversation. These people just happen to be here. <laughs> Balance of the Force. Why it was Mace Windu. Okay, right? so, so we're, we're, we're going to go Brian, back Brian, I the... honestly think that you are the best person to, to start this up. Okay, so the balance of the Force is uh, the idea that, that uh, Qui-Gon found Anakin, which he decided was a virgins in the Force, whatever, whatever that specifically means to the Jedi, and there was a prophecy of the Chosen One. And Mace Windu in Phantom Menace introduced the idea that the Chosen One would be the one who would bring balance to the Force. And there's a lot of debate over what that idea is. Is the balance of the Force the idea that, uh, you know, the Sith uh, were, uh, uh, the Jedi were eliminated because they'd unbalanced the Sith? Is it that Vader or Anakin destroy the Sith finally? Or uh, what does balance mean in that context? And there are a lot of different interpretations. And I think uh, probably the one I think that's the most interesting uh, that probably makes the least sense on the surface is kind of the, the idea that, that George Lucas had kind of come up with in that the, the balance of the force means the Sith are gone. And that the light side of the force is what... Uh, that benevolence in the galaxy is what the force actually wants rather than the dark side at all. Yeah, no, that's really, that's really kind of an interesting way to, to look at it. And I think what's, what's important is that there is no right answer for this. So the force is a mystical thing that people, and we kind of talked about this in an earlier panel, people see it and interact with it and believe in it in a different way. So the balance of the force is really a construct that comes out of the Jedi way of believing in the Force. So what they believe is a balance may not actually have anything to do with a true balance of the Force, and the Force may not even be able to be balanced at all. The Force is. And so, you know, what, what does that balance mean? And why, why does it awaken? Because <laughs> there's a really catchy title. Okay. <laughs> the... It was interesting when I first watched Star Wars because I came into it so late and I knew such vague details about it. After Phantom Menace, I assumed that the balance of the Force was in between the living and the cosmic, and that somehow was out of balance, and the Jedi's job was to make that work smoothly. You put that together after watching it the first time? Uh, The first movie. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's like we don't even need to be on this stage anymore. It's like that's a dramatic theory. Didn't you major in that? I did. <laughs> Briefly. Well, I, I think that that idea is interesting though that Qui-Gon I think Dawn has an interesting perspective in that she doesn't have all the baggage of the classic trilogy to think about what context we're seeing everything in. So when you have Qui-Gon telling Obi-Wan, like, no, 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 pay attention to the living force, that reading makes a lot of sense for someone who was introduced with Phantom Menace to start. 
Totally. I love that. I've actually never even thought of it that way. And now I'm kind of subscribed to that that way of thinking because that makes so much sense to me. Well, I'm glad that that worked out because basically since I watched the other five movies, I've just been like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they mean by balance of the force. Maybe it's like a religion. I assumed it was just like a religious um, idea that came directly from the Jedi. And that was just, oh, someone's going to come and fix it. We're gonna find our Jesus. Well, I I think that uh, that the, the Jedi had you know a notion of what balance of the Force was, and they thought it would be wiping out the dark side. But I believe that um, balance of the Force was just wiping the slate entirely clean. Anakin did that by wiping out the Jedi and then taking out all the Sith. So there are no big Force wielding hierarchies left. That that uh, you know there's just Luke and. He doesn't have a whole lot of training in the Jedi ways, and so it's just wiping the slate clean and letting it build up again. Um, and so that's kind of my, my thought on what the balance is, and, and I think that the, the Jedi were thinking it would be one way, and it was not really the way they thought it would be. Um, and, you know, at the end, that, that you know, you can kind of think of even just Anakin in the episode three time frame, you know, clears the board a bit, and so it's just two dark side users, essentially. It's, it's uh, Palpatine and Vader, and then two light side users, Yoda and Obi-Wan. And then, you know, later on, you know, Luke, Leia, and, and then possibly these other players from The Force Awakens, um, you know, are appearing on the scene. Um, I've got a wrench to throw in this conversation. Oh, dear. Mortis. <laughs> yeah, that... So, That's Mortis, a planet. how many of you... <laughs> it's not even a planet. It's not yet. I mean, like, they blinked, and they were on Mortis, <laughs> it's, it's and like then they were not. Super Mario World of a planet. So... <laughs> it is, though, all these little floating things ever. There's, there's a big platformer. So, how many of you have seen uh, Clone Wars and seen the episodes with Mortis? All right. Everybody else who didn't raise their hand has to leave. No, you don't have to no. leave. No, of all of those people that had your hands up, how many of you think that you fully understand what happened in those episodes? <laughs> All right, we've got an eh. That's one eh. <laughs> well, I think, I think understanding is a, is a really... I think it's an understanding with the movie the same way you watch 2001 A Space Odyssey and you, you can't understand the movie. You have to come to an understanding with it. And I think <laughs> Mortis is very much that, right? So Mortis and, and the best understanding I've come with to Mortis, for those of you who don't know... Um, there's this three-episode arc of the Clone Wars where Obi-Wan and Ahsoka and Anakin are drawn into this nexus of the Force. And according to uh, what I believe is truly the ghost of Qui-Gon Jinn, comes and tells, tells them that every part of the Force flows through this nexus. That's how powerful this place is with the Force. And there are three beings who live there, father, son, and daughter. And father is this neutral agent who keeps son and daughter in balance. And son is this godlike physical manifestation of the dark side. And voiced daughter... Voiced by Sam Witwer. Voiced by Sam Witwer. And daughter is the same thing for the light side. And Anakin is called the chosen one by father in the course of these episodes. And father is dying. And his task to Anakin is to fulfill the prophecy by taking Father's place to live in this nether world of the Force, to let go of himself, to sacrifice the life he had, to keep light and dark, son and daughter, in balance. I'm getting chills, dude. It's so good. <laughs> I really like those episodes, but Anakin ultimately rejects that. Mm -hmm. But I also think that the other part of the understanding I have of Mortis is that the effects of Mortis had ripples in reality outward because at the end of Mortis, we have uh, this acknowledgement from the clones, from Rex, that they'd only been gone for a few seconds on the, you know, they were just a blip, but it seemed like they'd been gone for weeks. And if you notice the structure of those, I think it plays a lot toward what's going on with Ahsoka. Right. If you look at the structure of the episode, like the Mortis arc begins with Rex talking to Ahsoka through their holograms, and that's how the season two finale of Rebels mm -hmm. starts. And you have uh, the uh, I don't know. We, we we don't have to get into Ahsoka. It's and, not and an accident. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not an accident. But I think that Mortis actually changed more than anything what I thought the balance of the Force was. No, I think you're right because the 
having the father pass and leave these two just and really the daughter too leave it unbalanced and with with Anakin not willing to take up that mantle because he himself is just you know too selfish to do that he doesn't want to give up the life that he has it messes up that cosmic balance with within the force and within the galaxy and i think in a lot of ways that kind of sets sets the stage for the future of what happens especially with anakin well it's interesting that not only does he reject the call to say i'm going to uh i'm not going to stay here to balance this father son and daughter all end dead Mm -hmm. like there is nothing to keep that in check yeah it's, it's interesting to think like what happens to mortis when those characters pass it's again wiping the slate clean yeah and you know what is really weird and strange to think about is there's a father and there's two kids is mortis the mother well, I was also thinking um, one of the interesting things. This is this is something I've been thinking about. Um, father, son, and daughter—they all all of their voices have this sort of reverberation to them. You can hear a couple of different voices in them, especially with son. Um, son, you can hear different echoes of different dark side wielders and Sith lords coming through his deliveries. Who's the only other person in Clone Wars we hear that speaks like that? Mother Talzin. Did I never say connected those two. Mother tells him? That's, that's crazy, man. Blown my mind has been. But I'm not I don't think I'm gonna I don't think I'm gonna go with that theory, but I like where your head's at. But well here's the other thing too. Son uh, son is a dark side user and the opposite in every way of father who's sort of neutral and light side. Daughter uh, is is light side and it seems like would be that opposite of mother, mother Talzin. And so maybe father wasn't meant to be neutral, but meant to be the light side. And so that was already kind of shifting things in that balance as the Sith kind of rose in prominence. But why she took off, I don't know. But she ends up through the series dead as well. That's crazy. So I have a completely different theory. (laughs) Please. Which is that the uh, father, son, and daughter are the representations of the living force while the mother as the planet or the of Mortis itself is the embodiment of the cosmic force. And that's why she's apart from them is because she's actually the other side of the force. Which makes sense if you think about like like Gaia theory and, and how like Earth is a goddess in itself in, in our sort of mythologies. And, and obviously George Lucas drew a lot from that sort of thing. And when you see kind of the things that the visions that that they they experience while they're there, it's interesting to think that those may have come from or at least been spurred on by the mother and and what will she may have had. That that's interesting. I hadn't thought of you know the, the mother aspect as being in those manifestations. That you know, I, sometimes it's like, is that really just the the dark side, the sun kind of pushing in? And you know, it, and it, that arc left a lot of questions. Like, was that really? Qui-Gon, was that really Shmi? Or were, were these things that are, are you know, just in Anakin's head to push him in a certain direction that maybe so he won't take the job? Or and I, think it was, I think it was a combination, right? Mm-hmm. I, think, I honestly think that really was Qui-Gon because we don't see anyone but Qui-Gon in that ghostly form. And Shmi, when she comes to him, is actually the sun in disguise. Uh, and sun kind of takes different guises there as well. And Obi-Wan sees him but doesn't necessarily believe it's him and it's not i think that's i think that episode that moment where he talks to qui-gon makes his reaction to yoda and revenge of the sith that much more um exciting you know because he's like maybe i wasn't hallucinating that and qui-gon can't manifest him himself in the the corporeal world that that way but where all the force flows it's strong enough the same way those dancing lights on dagobah uh, are around every time Qui-Gon's speaking, and that maybe maybe there's he's almost there on those places where the Force is the strongest. That's definitely how I how I read that with with Qui-Gon for sure, and it's like that extra time that Obi Wan had to kind of study and learn is what allowed him and what allowed Yoda to actually manifest as as the ghosts. So why don't we take some questions? Yes, sir. 
They don't. No. Well, no, I mean, here, here's the thing about, about Jedi, right? Jedi is a dogma. Jedi is a set of rules that you live by. So if you're, if you're a gray Jedi who's keeping the Force in balance in a different way, you're not a Jedi because you're not living by the rules of the Jedi. You're something else entirely. Um, so that, the gray Jedi thing never made any sense to me in that regard. Yeah, and it, it doesn't really, if you think about how the Force works, it doesn't really work with like that standard idea of it because you can't be super powerful in one thing without taking away from the other. If you use the dark side to some degree, you're going to be taking away a lot from the light side. So if you were purely like a gray Jedi where you're in the middle, you would have no power. Did you just say that that's not how the Force works? I, I did, and I totally <laughs> meant it that way. Um, but you've also got other entities that, that have a different view of the Force, like the Bendu, who you're going you're gonna to see more about in the, season, the, the third season of Rebels. Um, where in the trailer he talks about how, how he's the one in the middle between the dark and the light. I think he's more zen about it, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's where that sort of thing comes in, where uh, Filoni described him more as a, a, a tree beard or a Tom Bombadil sort, where he's just sort of out of that, that good versus evil conflict. Uh, the same way, you know, the reason Tom Bombadil probably could have destroyed the ring or, or changed the course of the war, but just wasn't in place at that point. Yeah, and I think Bendu is another one of those characters that may or may not be a manifestation of the Force itself. Like, he may be a character. He may really be that one thing that's managed to find the balance in between, or he may just be the physical manifestation of the balance. And he's really cool. He's voiced by Tom Baker. Uh, so, so you're saying he's like Snuffleupagus, kind of? That- he could be. I hadn't oh. thought of it that way. Um, one thing that I'm curious about is why the Jedi Order is so averse to a dead Jedi having a partner. You know, and why... Like a romantic partner? Yeah. And, uh, like, why that would be such a disruption in their relationship with the Jedi Order. And, and like, oh, along that line, you know, in episode three, we see, you know, Yoda telling Obi-Wan to go to Because he's a bro. <laughs> I think I think one of the things at play there is I think Anakin's the perfect example of why they shouldn't have those attachments. Um, Anakin gets these attachments and can't focus on his mission because he's created a hierarchy. Like the whole thing about the forces that or the the Jedi is that we're going to help everyone equally. We're going to be neutral arbiters in things uh, so that we can shift thing uh, shift situations toward benevolence toward goodness and when you're creating a personal hierarchy where your loved ones or your attachments are more important to you than you know the overall well-being that's going to cause a problem in your priorities and that's what we saw play out with Anakin which is what made Luke's story so uh, nail-biting as far as how like Luke does exactly the same thing as Anakin in Empire where his masters say, like, no, we've got to train you to defeat, like, the two strongest lords of the Sith we've ever, ever seen. And he's like, nope, I'm saving my friends. And then he, he goes to Tatooine and murders everybody. So, you know, it could have ended really badly, and Palpatine's plan to turn him really could have worked because he had those attachments. Now I think Luke is going to find a different way, um, but those attachments that he had to Ben probably didn't pan out that great either. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, like you're saying, the Jedi believe you have to be completely selfless in order to reach that, that point that they need to be at within kind of the light side of the Force. And as soon as you start having attachments, you can't be completely selfless. Like, even if you think that you are the greatest boyfriend or girlfriend in the world and you do everything for your partner, when it comes down to it, you're getting some gratification from that and that you... You, you're believing that, or whether or not you realize it, you're getting uh, something from that attachment, and you won't be able to make those choices. Th- that's what I love so much about that moment. Oh, go ahead, James. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> there are other, other people on this panel, Brian. Um, <laughs> but I'm the mayor. All right, Brian, let's just sit back. <laughs> so um, now I just 
lost my train of thought. Well, and now I feel like I have to think of something to say. Okay. No, no, no. We're only making fun of him. Oh, okay. All right. Um... No, the, the, logistically, with with the attachments, there there are some issues that you know those attachments not only are can pull the selflessness out of whack, but they can be used against the Jedi in terms of like, hey, we're gonna find your family and hold them hostage. Maybe you know that that's gonna like attachments. It's like that's why they don't know their parents really. That that you know they they can't be used as leverage against them. And then you know, on, on the other thing is like if we have all these attachments, if the Force does run. Through families um, like the, through the Skywalkers, you know, if, if you start making bloodlines of Force users, is that going to really throw things out of whack with the Force? That that you know, it's like, oh, hey, we can make a huge, huge amount of Jedi by just visiting lots of planets. <laughs> Are you like talking about like a weird Jedi breeding thing? I think he is. I think that's what he just that suggested. Is really disturbing, man. <laughs> So, okay, you're turned on. It is too late for this. I, yeah, I just, I agree. It, it probably just looked easier on paper to go, no, you can't have family and you can't have people that you love because how can we send you off to save the galaxy uh, impartially if you've got people that you like? And also, you'd be and care about a lot too. Yeah. yeah, and that is just part of the Jedi dogma. It's, it doesn't mean that you can't be a successful light side light side user and not and also have attachments. It's just you can't be a Jedi and be like yeah. that. And, and as we know, the Jedi ended up being wrong about a lot of things. So. I think that's what's interesting about Obi Wan, though, where we see that Obi Wan went through that temptation in Clone Wars with the Duchess Satine, and Obi Wan tells her, "Like I would have left the order for for you because he wouldn't have it. He wouldn't try to have it both ways. He was either going to throw himself into being a Jedi or being with with Satine. It's almost like that situation with with Boromir and the Ring, where it's like either I'm going to take this or no, I'm going to reject this completely." Um, I don't know. I just really like Obi Wan and Satine. Did you see there's a Satine cosplayer here? I did. Yeah, that was awesome. amazing. Luke only inspired it. So I think the thing is you can't take a character's lines by absolute fact. Like, a character's lines are filtered through that character. Lor Santeca is a believer in the Church of the Force, which is based on the faith of the Jedi. So his belief of the balance of the Force is similar to what the balance of the Force is to the Jedi. How that actually applies to someone like Kylo, who doesn't care about the Jedi or the Sith, is you know completely irrelevant. And... I think there's something to be said. Like, you have to take Clone Wars as that basis because that's what that's the Bible everyone is moving forward with, right? And it all came from George, especially that Deep Force stuff. Like, he was immensely involved in that. So I, I, I think it's impossible to discount. Yes. Excellent question. (laughs) But I I think that that's an interpretation that's not wrong. I think think that's totally valid. And that people, I mean, how many things in this world do people assign value to uh, or or assign meaning to which could easily be attributed to coincidence? No, your way of thinking is exactly my way of thinking. Um, I see the force as essentially nature. And, you know, nature doesn't have a will. But... You know, some people believe that nature does have a will. That doesn't mean that it actually does. It's just that's what people believe, and that's exactly how it is with with Star Wars, where the people have different force belief systems, and it's just kind of like 
man's way of understanding something that otherwise is ununderstandable. I, I just thought of a random question that, you know, going back to the, 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 the human construct of it is where did the prophecy that, you know, Mace Windu and Qui-Gon talk about come from and how is it that the Sith know about it and then how is it that Obi-Wan knows that if Anakin has any offspring, both the Emperor and Obi-Wan know that there would be a danger to Vader? Because that, that seems like he knows stuff that he shouldn't know. Yeah. And are there other prophecies? Are there other prophecies? There's a whole big book of prophecy. It covers everything, except for the extinction of the Jedi. They, kind they of didn't see that, that one, one coming. No. No. <laughs> that, that's in book two. <laughs> so let's go in the back. Yeah, that's you. I think Mortis is one of those things, if you watch it closely, you can see those themes. Like I said, it ripples out in reality. Look at the situation with Daughter and Ahsoka, but I think Father's sacrifice in Mortis probably has as much to do with with Anakin's sacrifice as a father in Jedi. Mm-hmm. I've got a counter theory to that, uh, in, in, that possibly you could look at it that, that you know Anakin sacrifices himself to kill the Emperor because he wants to save his son. But he also, remember, he doesn't really like the Emperor. He serves him, but he doesn't like him. And it's like, if you have a bad boss for 30-some years, you're like, he's always making me his lapdog and making me do stupid crap and never you know, giving me a chance and you know, telling me what the hell is an aluminum falcon. And um, I, I may be adding to the, 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 the continuity here a little bit. But, but you know, he might just like, I really hate this guy. This is now my chance to get him because he's not going to see this coming. And hey, I won't have to pay for any of those war crimes because I'm going to die anyway. So you know, if you look at it, that, that was it his love for his son or was it a hatred of the person who really screwed him over and turned him into the monster that he is? It was the love for his son. Well, you, I th- oh, go ahead. You can actually kind of see that that thought process going on in his head, where he's like, "Jerk, yeah, decent guy, jerk, decent guy. Who am I going to kill? Jerk." <laughs> And it, that's the only spot in the Death Star that seems to have guardrails. Like, like they finally figured that out. Well, that's the Emperor's area. Like, you don't want the Emperor to fall in a hole. Old man, you know, he's got to... He, he's like, make, make sure that there's, there's rails in my, my area. Uh, the rest of it, we can cut corners, but I, I want some rails. Let's go here. It totally doesn't matter. I, I've always kind of subscribed to that point of view. Like the force people are is trying, alive. Yeah, they're trying to balance something that doesn't care. Wow. Well, it goes again just to the, the whole dogma thing. It's like the Jedi, it matters to the Jedi because the Jedi believe it matters. Mm-hmm. And that's it. But it, 
why it would, should matter to us as fans. It's like it's really if you want to. Matter. Well, I think this is just something fun to talk about, really. Because Makes for a good panel. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does. I mean, well, obviously, you, you guys found it interesting enough to, to try to find out more, and hopefully we've been at least mildly Suckers. enlightening. <laughs> um, but, but I think it, it, it matters in that we've been given enough context to think about it, and I think that's what makes for really good art is that there's multiple interpretations that we can all draw meaning out of, and I think that's the most important thing about it is if we can find some meaning somewhere in it, mm-hmm. Then, then we, then we're the winners here. Yeah, and and we come up with our own meaning that that uh, you know we all have different ideas and we can you know, share them, discuss them, and and there's no answer that says this is the right answer that uh, you know that 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 way we we pull out of it what we need at that that time. I love the idea of us going through the entire Star Wars saga to find out that uh, the whole lesson is that just be the best person you can be because the universe doesn't give a crap about you. So we're going to go up here. Reading off your phone is cheating. If you're Wikipediaing this. (laughs) Please, please. I, I, I yes. Think yeah. <laughs> it goes back to the idea that either the force does have a will and everything is as it wills, or the force doesn't care and whatever happens happens. But the Jedi died one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think this brings up sort of a, a bigger issue: is, is is you know sort of a predestination versus free will thing that that maybe you know th- this whole idea of a prophecy and stuff is is like oh, wow things are predestined and Anakin is like no I'm I'm going to be like uh, that great Lord of the Rings character Neo from The Matrix and just choose his own destiny. Well, <laughs> I think... Uh, I, I'm pulling it back to, to Lord of the Rings and, and Mordor. So. I, I, think, I think there's a really interesting... Um, never mind. I saw a completely different Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> this, is the, this is the 15-hour version. I have a tendency to look at it the second way just because I it's that's also how religion works and it all very feels very religious to me. I think it's what the person is bringing in who can manipulate the force that I I think that that um you know the force manifests itself in different ways that you know, we see the Jedi and the Sith, we see the Night Sisters of Dathomir, but we see also just people that are maybe latent force users and they don't even know they're doing it and they may, they may not be doing anything, but like how lucky do you really have to be to be Han Solo that, that, that man up until the force awakens just could not die. And (laughs) he had a really good run, but yeah, that, that he is just really, really lucky. And you know, maybe that's the force just keeping him alive to get him to where he needs to be or just, Hey, you know, the, the force is attuned in him. He can't control it. He doesn't believe in it, but it's still working through him. I think that there's, there's something to be said, sort of dovetailed into the last question, too, about um, the will of the force and the idea that if we take, like, if I were to take the idea of midi chlorians in a situation where it's like, you're telling me there's something that if I quiet my mind, I can listen to it and it's going to talk to me, that would almost seem schizophrenic to me. But the fact that Jedi are able to do that, to quiet their minds, to listen to what they're, they're determining is the will of the Force and hearing uh, a voice or visions or whatever there and then be able to manipulate that and influence it to actually perform like actual things like 
running really fast or jumping high or deflecting lasers with their blades because they're tapped into that, it makes me think that maybe maybe there is um, some external thing there that they are able to manipulate and listen to. Okay. Let's go I, over there. I was going to say, the guy all the way in the back. In the suit? The naked guy? <laughs> yes. Mr. Muscles. Okay, what's your question? I think people are coming around. You're helping. I think it's exactly like Qui-Gon says, right? They're a symbiotic life form that if you quiet your mind, you can listen to them and they will help reveal to you the will of the Force. So they're not the Force and they don't necessarily have anything to do with the Force itself so it doesn't take any of that mysticism from the Force. They're a conduit through which the Force is Mm -hmm. able to communicate. I didn't say that. <laughs> the way I think of it is they're like they're like a cable. Like you can have a TV and you can have yourself like to watch the TV, but unless you have something to plug that TV into to be able to get cable, the TV's not going to really do much for you. And the midi-chlorians are the television? No, the midi-chlorian yeah, the midi-chlorians are the TV. The force would be the cable. That's that's the force, but is it whether or not it's giving literal messages, or if it's just allowing people to tap into something that they didn't realize was already inside of themselves? That's kind of a mystery. I mean, there is something there because you know they you can sense things through the force that you can't sense otherwise. So there is something there that you can levitate stuff and you know run real fast and jump real high and shoot lightning out of uh, your Pikachu tail. <laughs> The force is fact. Let's go back here. Yeah. It did end up in 30 years of relative peace, though. So you can say that from a certain point of view that there was balance to the Force. At one point during the prequels, there was a ton of Jedi, so it was out of balance. Then the Emperor took over, and he was in charge of everything, so it was out of balance the other way. When the Emperor was thrown over, it was balanced again because it was kind of reset. So is the whole idea that when the Force is balanced, it just kind of falls asleep? No, I'm just like a legitimate question. I'm trying. I don't to... have a legitimate answer. Okay, to cool. It. I don't because I'm still of the of the mind that the force is its own thing, and I don't necessarily believe that it has a will or that there is a balance. I mm-hmm. think that's a manifestation of people's belief. But just to go with what you're saying, if, if you want to think of whether or not it was balanced because Palpatine died, I certainly could understand that. Hey, there was 30 years of relative peace. Like that's pretty balanced. Well, who's to say that that balance is permanent? Right, um, and the other thing is, I, I I've kind of loved the whole Ray as a reincarnation of Anakin Skywalker theory. 
just because what would piss Kylo Ren off more? <laughs> Is if Anakin Skywalker chose the person he hates so much, and the person he idolizes is his enemy. I don't know. That's that's interesting. I I, I just think that would take away from Ray's character, though. I I concur. I'm yeah. I, I'm I'm trying not to subscribe to any theory, so that when it the reality is revealed to me, I will be open to all possibilities. I've got a theory. Some kid is dreaming. You, sir. Yes. I feel like it was Brian that at one point sold me on the idea that Ahsoka took over as the chosen one after Anakin rejected it. Was that you? I it, it's possible. That's crazy. It talk. sounds like you. <laughs> I well no, I don't I don't I don't know. Like I come up with random Star Wars theories like three times a day. I don't know. Maybe I did explain that at one point and I was working through it. I don't know. And then when the Jedi betrayed her, um that was also kind of her stepping down from being the chosen one when she left and wasn't doing anything anymore. It's like nobody wants to be the chosen one. I don't know. Whoever it was that told me that theory, I signed on for it, and that's kind of what I just have been assuming happened with Ahsoka. I I think it goes back again to that idea that you have to look at the events of Mortis as having ripple. Like, it's like a super concentrated bit of time in the story and that it has ripples outward, and, and I think... The confrontation with Vader, we can look at, like, between father and son, uh, or father and daughter, and daughter's sacrifice probably has something to do with Ahsoka as well. And we could see, like, that's the thing I love about the situation they set up at the end of Mortis. You can see echoes of it in the confrontation between Vader, Palpatine, and Luke. You can see it in confrontations between Kanan and Ezra and Vader and Ahsoka. You can see echoes of it in the confrontations between Obi-Wan and Anakin. And it's designed in such a way that we can read into it all of those situations. And it has those ripples because of what happened there and the choices at their very mo- like at their most spiritual form that Anakin and, and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka made. I don't know. One thing about Mortis that has always struck me is that there's no like immediate repercussions that, you know, they all get back to the regular plane of existence and like they all remember what happened there but they don't ever talk about it they're like hey anakin you did some really messed up crap we we should probably maybe talk about this maybe i should talk to yoda about this hey ahsoka you died yeah and so there's just you know a lot that they should have spent the time to unpack and they didn't and i wonder if that's just the nature of their own characters that they're like well, that was we just had a gas leak, and we're just going to pretend that. Uh, well, we're I think Rex's reaction to that probably plays into that. Where Rex is like, "You were only gone for a second. What the hell are you talking about?" And who's to say they didn't have those conversations? It wouldn't make for a great children's show to have, you know, three characters sitting around talking about the previous episodes. <laughs> it's the clip show episode. <laughs> well, and I, it's probably a little bit too existential. Like Mortis was about as existential as you could get exactly. on that show. Let's go here. So, in terms of like the balancing of the force, if that's even something that needs to happen, I feel like the spotlight has always been on the people with the shiny swords, the Sith or the Jedi, or like some other crazy old ancient Sith or Jedi that come back and help the new young millennial Sith or Jedi. Whatever. <laughs> what about like, what about the the regular know, people? I don't, yeah, I don't want to use the term force. Are you talking about people that are force that are force sensitive but unaware of it or untrained, or are you talking about like the normal people, like the Han Solos of the world? So, like the people who are force sensitive, they feel it, they feel drawn to it, they are they're aware of it. Like, how do they play into the balancing of the force? Like, is there so whereas there's 
Jedi and Sith, is there this group of middle, like a third party people who are just as important to, like their existence is just as important? Or does everybody have to ultimately be funneled into either the Jedi or the Sith in order to be part of the balance of the Force? I think it goes back to Yoda and Empire, right? Where he says that all living things are part of the Force and part of that fabric. And we see so many different flavors of, of Force users and people who are Force users. And I think the, the phrase Force wielder is something that's really important. If you, if you remember in Twilight of the Apprentice, that's how Maul introduces himself to Ezra. And he doesn't even say, I am a Force wielder. He says, I was once a Force wielder. And the idea that he's not a Sith any longer. Palpatine made that very clear in, uh, what was it, The Lawless? Mm -hmm. Uh, That episode of Clone Wars where he says, you know, there can only be two lords of the Sith, uh, you know, and and you are no longer my apprentice. And so Ahsoka is another, I I think Ahsoka and Maul have so many similarities and they're on like the light side and the dark side versions of these tracks where where Ahsoka tells Vader flat out, like, I am am no Jedi. Uh, And so... They those force wielders certainly have parts to play in that, and that everyone who can who can maybe feel the force or get that sense that there's something going on, they are part of the force as well. Whether they can influence it as much or not is is anyone's guess, but they're certainly a part of it. Yeah, and I think that I, I doubt that there's a lot of active force wielders out there that aren't sort of aligned with the dark or the light. I think. Especially, at least during the times that we know, because during the prequels, the Jedi had a pretty good system for rooting those people out, and during you know the the Imperial regime, the Empire had Inquisitors to root them you know, out. Root the them out. So there aren't a lot of untrained people, and the people that are untrained and just kind of going through their daily lives, I would say, are probably as close to balance as you can get because they're just normal people. Like they're not going crazy in either direction. They are just living their lives, and the Force is living through them. So we've got time for one last question. Please make it awesome. So this goes along with the last one. Uh, if regular people are going to play into this, and Jar Jar is the key, how does he... <laughs> we got a great question for yep. the end. All right. I, Jar Jar is, I think, like the most important part. Without Jar Jar, we don't get the victory over the Empire at all. Right? No, I'm not even kidding. You're laughing. I'll bring you there. We can do a Jar Jar panel next time. I would love to. (laughs) The short version is is that Jar Jar is obnoxious and clumsy, and that's that's what everyone sees in Jar Jar. No one wants him around. His own people don't want him around. The, the Gungans don't want him around. The Naboo don't really like him either. The Naboo don't like any of the Gungans, and Qui-Gon's the only person who says there is inherent worth in this thing as a being and it doesn't matter, right? And so they bring Jar Jar along, even though he has no obvious value. And the idea is that you have to be nice to everything, whether they have a value to you or not. And that's the thing. Qui-Gon was learning that the rest of the Jedi weren't. That's why the Jedi t- kept taking those steps toward being warriors, because they, they weren't tapped into that. So because Qui-Gon teaches that, Jar Jar is able to be a key to unite the Naboo and the Gungans. Which is, how, which, you know, think back later, it's the same thing with Luke and the Ewoks, right? But he teaches that lesson to everyone, and Palpatine's obviously watching this, and Palpatine is able to use that same thing for nefarious purposes, to bring Jar Jar to, to bring that vote to order to, for the Military Creation Act. Yoda has to go in exile and watch how all of the Jedi have completely and arrogantly destroyed themselves because they made these mistakes. He even comments about it in Attack of the Clones, about how all of the older Jedi are more, uh, are, are more arrogant. You know, Mace Windu, at the beginning of Attack of the Clones, is like, we wouldn't assassinate anybody. By the time Dark Disciple, uh, that book starts, he's advocating, we need to assassinate Dooku. Like, they've taken these horrible steps. So what's the first thing Yoda does when he's testing Luke? He's acting like Jar Jar, Right? That's the lesson he needs to learn. And Luke fails that miserably. We're supposed to be terrified about this. Luke can't see that inherent worth. His only worth in Yoda before he discovers that he's actually Yoda is to get him to Yoda. And Yoda doesn't like that. That's why Yoda doesn't want to train him. It gets worse when Luke takes off and doesn't listen to his masters. But Luke finally starts learning these lessons, which is why when when Han starts to go blow up the Ewoks... You know, Han pulls his blaster. Luke says, no, 
we're going to play this out, and they're, they're going to be our allies. And you notice, like, there's little things, too. Like, when Anakin stops the fight with Jar Jar, it's because Jar Jar went to try to get food he shouldn't have gotten and got into that altercation. It's the same thing with Chewie going for that food on Endor. He goes to go eat this food he's not supposed to, and a Skywalker has to intercede to stop the fight. It's brilliant, and Jar Jar is the key to all of it. So thank you all for coming to this, this panel, and I hope that was informative, and we'll thank you to all of the panelists. I hope you guys all see Jar Jar in a completely new light. So, um, yeah, that's great. That was, uh, that was very deep, Brian. I, 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 my head is still spinning. It was, it was that kind of panel. I, I, you know, have we talked about it besides the... Um, no, I we guess we have an episode on the balance of the force, and we did an episode that kind of breaks down uh, Mortis through the lens of Twilight of the Apprentice. No, no, I mean, we did talk about that. I was going to talk about. Did we talk about you with your uh, Jar Jar Binks head um, backpack that you, you walked around with all week? Um, we didn't really talk about that, but I have one, and I got it, and I wore it. So, like, it. it probably came up in a couple pa- in the audio of some panels, but you walked around with that backpack. It was just a head of Jar Jar, and a lot of people found that either a creepy, a funny, or b awesome. Uh, I think it was mostly awesome. I had so many people come up to me and say, "Like that backpack is awesome." But it was one of those things. I saw it at Celebration Europe, and uh, I was like, "Where? Why have I never seen one of these before?" And it's because they only made them in Europe. Ah. So as soon as I got home, guess what I ordered? One of those. From Europe. There you go. And uh, I walked around the convention with it. And it was funny, actually. If you remember our live show, um, that kid who asked that Jar Jar question. Yeah. Right before the panel started, I'd come in and I put my Jar Jar backpack on the, the table of the, uh, of the, the panel table. The stage. Yeah. And the kid goes, why do you have the severed head of Jar Jar? And I'm like, it's not a severed head. It's Jar Jar. It's my backpack. He's awesome. It's like, oh, I think he's terrible. I'm like, that's cool. And uh, somebody from the audience was like, you should ask him why he doesn't think Jar Jar is terrible on the mic during the question and answer session. He's like, okay, I will. Yeah, that turned out and, great. And it turned out great. And it was funny because I could see him. Like, I was staring, right? And not staring. I was making eye contact with him because my answer was directed at him directly. And he mouthed, like, that is gold to me <laughs> after the end of the answer. It was funny. That is which funny. is Which is weird because, like, I kind of gave the same spiel at this at this panel, this balance of the force panel, mm-hmm. and then people have been asking had been asking me about it all weekend. Wow. They're like, do, "Do the Jar Jar thing, do the Jar Jar thing." Like Matt Martin got really like he thought it was hilarious too. He's like, "I just need to have people. I need just need you to explain Jar Jar to everybody because I love when you when you say that. Like it's just hilarious." To me. That's funny. That's great. Um, I have to say, a Awesome, B, funny, C, awesome. I said A something, B something, A something when I was saying that before your thing. That made no <laughs> sense. Um, all right. So, yeah, that was, a, that was a really, really great panel. So let's wrap this one up. And we have one more special episode, Brian. We do. And then we're going to be talking about the season premiere of Rebels Season 3. Okay. Well, well we have to talk about what is that one um, so this is uh, it's a panel that was called Fixing Fandom and Ending Bullying and Gatekeeping, and there is a really great cross section of people. Okay, all right. So that will be our next episode that we release shortly. So look forward to that. Brian, you can find you where? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Swankmotron. Uh, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Swankmotron. You can find me on Instagram at Swankmotron. Um, basically, if you look up Swankmotron, you're going to find me. Uh, or you can find my books at brianyoungfiction.com, or you can just type my name into Amazon and buy my books there. Uh, and you can also find my columns every Monday on starwars.com and occasionally in Star Wars Insider. If you want to leave a voicemail for the show, you can use the SpeakPipe app on the website, which is fullofsith.com. There you can find our Twitter addresses at fullofsith, at the mic, at swankmotron, at amy underscore geek. You can go to facebook.com slash fullofsith and check out all the stuff we post there, like show notes and the show art and all kinds of different conversations that are going on. And there's been some great emails uh, in the last week and a half, Brian. i got to forward those to you and Amy when we come back. 
for uh, a full show. Um, we'll get to some of those emails as well. They're really, really good. Holocron at fullsith.com and then iTunes, Stitcher, the uh, Google Play Store. If you haven't left a review for us yet, please do so. And if you're looking for me, themike.com. You can find my stuffs there. For my co-host, Brian Young, and for this special episode of Full of Sith, I am the Mike Pilot. May the Force be with you, always. If you're not be meeting me, I'll close down for a while. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.